It's Tuesday the 22nd of December. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert. You can see us on Sky News Weekend Edition Saturdays and Sundays. And I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. How are you my dear friend? Mate, I've come all the way to the south coast for some sunshine. There's not much sunshine down here but I'm going well mate. And I'm looking forward to having a chat with you today once again about all things sport mate. Yeah, I just checked the weather forecast. It looks like it's going to turn around. So, mate, make sure you wax the board, get the weddy on, and away you go. <laughs> We've got some great guests today. Anna Mears, um, of course, Anna wrote this book just a few months ago, and it's Christmas time. It'd be a perfect gift. She really does tell the story, and uh, she is going to give us an insight into not only the sports person, but also Anna Mears, the person. Rob Gilbert's going to wrap up all the EPL. Could Arsenal possibly be relegated? And Eddie Maguire... Is it a career in politics? There's so much to get through. Let's get going. Shano, a really interesting story. I was reading about Will Pukowski when he was a... He was only a kid. I think he was 12 years old watching Steve Smith bat. And it was an early Steve Smith batting. And he, he's saying to his dad, how's this guy getting runs with this technique? Dad, it's ridiculous. Well, the, the guy's having enough trouble getting um, into the team with the poor guy with concussion. And, you know, he's had his, he's had his mental health bat- battles. Sledging Steve Smith's batting technique is probably not going to do him any help at all either. <laughs> oh, but but with his forgiveness, it was that happy happening when he was twelve. No, I know, but um, yeah, it, it was it was quite cute. But it just goes to show, um, you know, you can be a young kid looking and watching someone on TV and not knowing that down a track you could be staying alongside him. And he makes a point, doesn't he? Because Steve Smith has a very unorthodox, very unorthodox batting style, but he has an eye. Is you know as big as Texas, and as soon as he's in, uh, it's almost impossible to get him out because he he finds a way to get the bat on the ball in the right place. Yeah, I remember talking about this with Shane Warne years ago when he first started, and and we, and we both thought at the time that Steve Smith would go through some big runs of outs, and um, because so many things can go wrong, he's got so many movements. But as you said, the one thing he does consistently well is he hits the ball right under his eyes, and he hits it when he's balanced. But yeah, you know the, the the guy that does have an eye like a dead fish, and um, he's an exceptional batsman, and we haven't seen that run of outs just yet. Have you ever seen a fidget quite like him? The way that he adjusts his gloves, pads, every bit of protective equipment, moves, shuffles. No, never. And if you fidget that much in school, you, you get put on detention. <laughs> um, so that's that's the thing. Now, a lot, as I said, a lot of things could go wrong, but um, an exceptional talent. But the basics is that he hits the ball right under his eye. He hits the ball when he's still and balanced. Um, all the other sort of stuff is a bit of a, a bit of a dance before the, the actual event. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes in the Melbourne Test match because he only got one off 29 balls and it was a very unlike Steve Smith, but it did prove a pretty difficult wicket to bat on. Look, Sydney Test, we've got to have the Sydney Test, don't we, Shane? Look, personally, and I don't want to get too political, but I, I look, I think that all the slamming shut of all the borders we are, you know, the, the numbers are sort of giving an indication that they got it under control like they have with every other cluster. Let's hope that the Sydney Test match doesn't float down the river because of it. Look, I, I hope so. It, it's one thing on the calendar that I personally look forward to every year, and I know a lot of people do. And, you know, they're talking about potentially swapping the Brisbane Test with the Sydney Test or even going to Perth. There's a lot of things that are up in the arms. We'll, we'll know pretty much more in the next 24 hours where that's going to be at. But, um, look, fingers crossed, it'll be in Sydney. Probably that was my definitely my favourite ground in um, in Australia, if not the world. So yeah, fingers crossed the Sydney Test will be as is and played on the correct date. 
Ironically, there is even speculation that there could be two Melbourne test matches. Isn't that bizarre when you think we go back a few months ago? Yeah, um, who, who knows, man? I'm not a betting man, so we'll have to wait and see what happens in the next 24 hours. But um, I think the beauty of, of Australia in a test series is that you play on four or five different mm. grounds that are all very, very different. So playing two tests in a row in, in the same venue just wouldn't really work. What about Bernard Tomic? Will he ever come good? It looks like Nick Kyrgios has turned the corner. There was some promise uh, just recently in the last few weeks. He was trying to make some comeback and uh, he'd won a match and didn't get there because he had a sore back. But boy, oh boy. Oh, I've never met the guy, so it's, it's hard to speak on his behalf. But he's definitely, um, he focuses on the wrong things. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is a guy getting towards, you know, the, the serious part of within age of, of his career, and now he's starting to get injuries. So he might start to regret a few of these silly things he's done in the past. All righty. Okay, this is Afternoon Sport. Coming up next, Rob Gilbert. He gives us a full look at all the EPL, Arsenal, and all the things happening at the top of the table as well. And what happens with Eddie Maguire next? Afternoon sport, well, uh, look, there's so much going around in the world game, both here in Australia and overseas, Shane, and, and Rob Gilbert, of course, he's with us every week, early in the week, to give us a roundup, not only what's happening uh, in the world game, but AFL and everything Melbourne. How are you, Rob? Hello, Timmy. Hello, Shane. Good buddy. How are you, mate? How's things? Yeah, going really good. I'm um, looking forward to Christmas. It's uh, all uh, been very exciting with uh, with a little fellow in the house who's uh, very excited about the arrival of uh, the man in the big red suit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Rob, we'll, uh, yeah, look, the, the A-League, the W-League, it's been tipped on its head with uh, these closures because of the Avalon cluster. It's a mess. Yeah, well, that's right, Timmy. It's all up in the air right now, but the opening match of the round is meant to be this coming Sunday. The Wanderers hosting the new boys, MacArthur Bulls. That game is expected to go ahead. I spoke to uh, the Wanderers today, and and they're going forward as if the plan is to play. But you've got a lot of uncertainty. That's the one thing that we all know about um, with this uh, opening to the season. Greg O'Rourke, the, the head of operations at the Football Federation of Australia, or the soon to be called, and it's another story uh, here, the, uh, the renamed Football Australia, uh, has said that we fully expect that there will be disruption from the get-go. So it's just the last thing the, the A-League needed, and the W-League, of course, needed to get the season started. Rob, all going well. The season does get up and running. Um, I know Sydney FC have just flown in and Stevie Corrigan, who lives on the northern beaches, needs to isolate for another two days. But all things going well and the season does kick off. Uh, what are your tips for the A-League? Yeah, look, I think um, Sydney FC would have to be the, the team that is the the most likely candidate to go back-to-back. Uh, the uh, teams that I think will do uh, well and and are likely to contend are the Wellington Phoenix, who did particularly well last year. Um, they... Uh, were similar to the New Zealand Warriors in the NRL, uh, mm. forced to um, pretty much uh, spend most of their time in Australia for the entire season. Melbourne City as well were uh, were strong, made the grand final. I'd expect them to do well. I think Victory will bounce back. They uh, were the only team of the three Australian teams, Sydney FC, Victory, and then the Perth Glory that went to the Asian Champions League and actually got through the knockout stages. Um, I don't think you can expect Victory to, to be uh, as uh, ordinary as they were before. But with Mark Milligan, the MacArthur Bulls, and a lot of really good quality international players on their list, I'd say that they are a team that um, we could expect to do well, similar to, to what Western United did last year in their debut season. Rob, um, overseas and Arsenal being relegated is a discussion point which probably has never happened before, but people were starting it out as a joke. It's no joke now. 
No, it hasn't happened before. And um, and I know we uh, we went through the Arsenal situation last week. Worst start uh, uh, in 60 years amongst a number of really heavy statistics. Mikel Arteta, he's saying the sorts of things that, that doomed coaches say uh, uh, when they're losing matches um, that we were the better team on the day, but we're just mm. not having any luck. Uh, they currently sit in 15th spot on the ladder, so on 14 points. They're three teams out of the relegation zone, so Burnley are on 10, but Burnley have got two games in hand as well. So so in reality, Brighton and Fulham are all that separate them from the drop zone. So it is really getting scary for, for Arsenal right now, and uh, the uh, the style of play, the, the energy in the team right now suggests that uh, that this could be one of the car crash scenarios of, uh, of the current Premier League season. But uh, at the other end of the ladder, it's, it's going to be a great finish. Um, uh, Liverpool sitting on top on 31 points. Leicester City again, the champions of 2015-16. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he, he's been criticised by just about everybody who follows the Premier League, but he's got Manchester United with a game in hand on 26 points. And uh, and then you've got Everton, Spurs and, and Southampton as well doing really well amongst the number of clubs. Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, they've got a game in hand. So they're starting to, to find some form as well. But uh, yeah, Arsenal is the big story of the Premier League right now. Rob, the uh, FAWSL, uh, the Westfield Matildas, it's good to see Sam Kerr back on the score sheet. Yeah, look, the uh, the Matildas doing well. There's so many Matildas over there in the um, Women's Super League in, in the UK. Uh, and we've got uh, an Aussie, ironically, um, the women's team at Arsenal, uh, one of the, uh, the top teams, coached by Joe Montemuro, who was uh, a candidate for the Matildas' top job. So he's got three Aussie players, Caitlin Ford, mm-hmm. Steph Catley, Lydia Williams there. You mentioned Sam Kerr scored a hat-trick a couple of uh, weeks ago, but uh, but some uh, COVID issues have, have postponed the most recent round of, uh, of women's football over uh, in the UK. So uh, amongst others, Bristol City, Chloe Ndaza, coached by Tanya Oxterby and uh, Hayley Rasso has had a, had a brilliant season at Everton, Alana Kennedy at Spurs and uh, Mackenzie Arnold and Emily Van Egmont at, the, at West Ham United. So so the Aussies are really doing well over in the Women's Super League. And, and there's a shift, a gradual shift from the American top flight where in years gone by, um, the past decade or so, it's been the destination for, for women but now that the, the English game is really taking the women's game seriously, uh, it's taking its place alongside of the American f- football competition, the women's football competition, as, uh, as, as close to its equal. Yeah, absolutely. Now, finally, Eddie Everywhere. Well, he's nowhere really at the moment. I, I know he's got another year to go on his contract as chairman or with his deal as chairman at Collingwood, but his radio show is gone. He still does his TV. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because the guy is a, such a talented and successful person for so long. But he, he's not the kind of guy that will sit idle, Robert. It's a massive move for him to leave the chairmanship. Where does that leave Collingwood and where will that leave Eddie? Yeah, well, look, as you said, Eddie Maguire, uh, you underestimate him at your own peril, don't you guys? And, uh, you know, he, on the one hand, might be stepping down from a series of roles, but just when you think he's uh, he's going to fade into the background a little, on the front page of the local papers uh, is a story about him going into federal politics. Uh, um, his brother, obviously, uh, uh, is the member for Broadmeadows in the, in the Victorian yeah. State Parliament, one of uh, Daniel Andrews' um, men. And, uh, and so, look, that wouldn't be out of the question. I mean, those 
of uh, sort of old enough to remember the Republican uh, referendum uh, nearly two decades ago, where he was alongside of Malcolm Turnbull um, as, a, as a you know relatively young man made a national name for himself. So look, uh, I think Eddie will be around for a while yet. I know I said tongue in cheek uh, before uh, or a couple of weeks ago that uh, that Jeff Kennett retired from the presidency of, of Hawthorne and said you'll never see me again. Mm-hmm. What's he doing right now? He's back for his second stint as president. So so I, I don't think it's in Eddie's nature to uh, to, to walk away. Uh, look, there's been plenty of um, of uh, analysis done on his time at, at Collingwood. The 23 years he's uh, he's been uh, the president of the club since 1998. They've made five grand finals. Uh, they won one in 2010. It was the uh, the last ever draw because that draws don't exist in uh, in the AFL anymore. So in terms of performance on the field and and commercial success, that um, Collingwood have have just gone from a basket case uh, when he took over to becoming the powerhouse of the AFL in terms of commercial success. Uh, unfortunately for Eddie, he was um, his own worst enemy at times. Um, you know, three of the, the biggest controversies uh, of, uh, of his career in the media as president, uh, obviously the Adam Goods incident the week after a 13-year-old fan called Goods an Ape. Uh, he, um, you know, he says he was tired, he didn't know what he was thinking, but he, he made just this ill-fated gag on his radio show about getting out goods down uh, to help promote the uh, uh, the King Kong musical in Melbourne. I mean, I just will never forget listening to the radio that day and I heard it it was just crazy stuff. And then um, and then a couple of others. There was the Caroline Wilson incident where he said she they, they should be held underwater and obviously the Cynthia Barham one in uh, 2019 where he, he inadvertently made a gag about um, the WMPT and the way she was walking. So, so look, Eddie McGuire, he'll be around for a long time yet and um, his legacy, you know, it'll be poor over by many more people than us boys. Hey, Rob, he's not going anywhere, mate. I see he's hosting uh, Carols by Candlelight, mate. So we'll, prob- we'll, prob- we'll probably see him singing Bing Crosby. Who knows? <laughs> he is with Lavinia Nixon. Well, how's Ray Martin going to feel? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Just like uh, when when uh, he steps down, he, he takes on one of the most high-profile roles of, of the entire year. So, uh, yeah, well, you've got to laugh at it, don't you? Yeah, and if Eddie's involved, it certainly won't be a silent night. Boom. Rob, good to talk to you. Yes, we've got we got you one more time before the 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 new year and, and Merry Christmas, mate. We were going to spend it together, but uh, we will uh, we'll have to be a border apart. Absolutely, Timmy, and uh, to you as well, Shane. To you and your family, Merry Christmas, and to all our listeners. Uh, it's been a lot of fun this last month or so, and hopefully we have a, a big year next year. And to our man Dan on the buttons, he does a brilliant job. Yeah, we will, and uh, yeah, whether or not we can get Dan's head in the studio next time is going to be difficult. <laughs> but we'll catch you later, Rob. Hey, boys. Coming up, this is a real treat for afternoon sport, an out-and-out Australian sporting legend, Anna Mears. Well, look, not every day of the week you have an absolute Australian sporting icon, Anna Mears. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Anna, your new book now, what an inspirational read. You must have been... Quite emotional writing that book. Thank you. Yes, um, definitely quite emotional revisiting some, I guess, moments in my career and in my life. But um, I wrote it with Reese Humphrey, who was the chief of sport in uh, the advertiser in Adelaide, who knows me very well and knows my career very well. So he was wonderful to work with and articulated the experiences beautifully, I felt. And yeah, we've, we've been able to produce a book that's not really your typical sports autobiography book. It's really pointed in where we want to look and why. 
and what we took from each lesson and experience so it could help people essentially. I love the line, sometimes the end of the race is just the beginning, Anna. It says everything, doesn't it? It, it really does. Um, when I wrote the book, I wanted to call it Bell Lap, meaning that the most important time of the race was actually once the sport was done and dusted and you started to get back into life and really we we can get lost in this big machine that is sport and this you know huge world that is sport and completely not even realize that life itself is far bigger and Mm. um, there is so much that happens when you step from one to the other and even though I felt like I was as prepared as I could be I was smacked in the face on numerous occasions. So, <laughs> and it's well documented. You, you broke your neck. You were two millimeters away from absolute tragedy, and that changed your whole outlook on life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's fair to say that you can probably really look at my career pre and post accident. Yeah. Um, because it really, it's not until you potentially lose um, something or have it taken from you that you realize that you love it as much as you do or you have some gratitude for it or you really find some value in the worth of what it is you're doing and what what you're wanting to achieve. And I learned a lot in that um, time frame where I went through a pretty, pretty harsh rehab and rehabilitation program. And um, yeah, it, it really changed who I was as a person and the athlete that turned up, you know, you know, in London and in Rio. And I won two of my world titles before the um, accident and I won a further nine afterwards. So applying those things that I learnt through that time frame, um, I think definitely made me more successful. You would have been such a different human being from the start where you medaled in 2004, you took bronze and gold in Athens. Then, of course, in, in 2008 in Beijing, you got the silver. And then in London, it was gold again and the bronze. And, and, and meddling at the end uh, in Rio de Janeiro, where you were also the flag bearer. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's a life within a life. <laughs> yeah, it's not that I – look, I don't think I was just a different person. In some ways, I'm almost embarrassed by the different people that turned up in my <laughs> life so far. <laughs> But what can you do? You don't know what you don't know at the time, eh? So, um, mm. no, it's, uh, it's it's very, very true. I'm really proud of the consistency that I had over a long period of time in my career. That's something that, uh, you know, I, I walked away from Rio feeling that my bronze medal was a disappointment to Australia who hangs so much of its pride and its, its emotion invested in its sportsmen and women. And it wasn't until I won that medal that someone said to me, you're the first person to ever medal f- consistently at four um, Olympic Games individually and I made them double check their fact because I didn't believe them you know <laughs> so um, you know I think I even needed to readjust what I believed success was at that point Well and it, sport is one thing but away from sport there's, there's a whole big life out there and you said once that you never thought you you would become a mum um, and that happened and that happened little baby Evelyn congratulations Thank you. My daughter Evelyn was born this year in an Olympic year in February and I was hoping she wasn't born on the 29th, which she wasn't. She was born on the 10th. Um, yeah, and she has just been, um, you know, really eye-opening, uh, a thrilling experience, a terrifying experience at the same time. And um, I am so glad that I get the chance to be a mum. I know that that doesn't happen for a lot of people. Um, and she has made me slow down. She has made me stop and enjoy 
simple things because yep. she's never seen anything in the world before. You know, I was drinking out of a glass of water the other day and it was like the, the Olympic Games for her. She was just like, wow, a glass. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it's nice to just literally slow down and appreciate simple things and she's she's teaching me to do that. Yeah, well, well someone said to me many years ago now, before you have kids, you see the world in black and white. When you have kids, you see the world in colour and it's so true. You see it in living colour. Like here I am here we're doing our broadcast and for the the previous 15 minutes it was me trying to subdue noise from all three of them just to say can you please please just (laughs) for the next 45 minutes just please (laughs) yeah I guess that's a losing battle although you're doing pretty good so far Oh, yeah, yeah, quite. It's amazing what a movie uh, and some uh, chocolate will do. Their mum's not around at the moment. She's, she's out shopping. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got three kids, and um, if I can use a cycling term here, um, there's more than one bell with, with, with three kids. A bell seems to go off every lap. <laughs> kids always want something, yeah. So, um, no, you, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be a great mum as you were a great sports person, and uh, you know, Australia's very proud of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's um, if I can help to create a very empathetic um, young woman in my daughter and, you know, give her some experiences to appreciate what we have here in our life in Australia and um, maybe dabble in sport. I don't know if she'll pick up a bike, but I hope she finds something she's passionate about and I'll mm-hmm. help her along the way. Beautiful. And look, look, we're knocking on the door of Christmas. It's a perfect uh, Christmas present because it's a great read. And it, it sort of, you haven't left anything out, have you, Anna? You've told the whole story in there. You know, most people would know me for, you know, the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games where they would tune into the television every so often. But this is what happens in the training and the sporting world and life in all the years in between where you don't tune in. And really, I feel like this is the chance for people to see that I am as human as everyone else. I have as many challenges as everyone else. And uh, it's really, I I hope, a way for people to, um, uh, I guess, open up in their own lives to both mental health, to um you know, chasing your dreams, to facing adversity, to believing in yourself, to achieving something, but also failing. It's really important to uh, have both sides of that coin and be as well-rounded a person as possible. And I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. But, um, you know, if we can all help each other in some small way, if someone takes one thing from the book, I will be very happy. Uh, Well said, Anna. And look, Merry Christmas. Have a great one. And we'll, uh, we'll speak to you next year, I'm sure. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks, Anna. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to Anna Mears and to Rob Gilbert. Thank you to our sponsors, O'Brien Beer and Spartan. And of course, of course, of course, of course, he is to podcast what Phil Liggett is to cycling commentary. Dan McHugh, thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with your daily dose of sport. See you then, Shay. I'll see you then, mate. Brilliant.